0: Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja, in addition to reviewing horror and other things, on my blog
1: at keithrfoster.com. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanders of Melisanda for The Accidental Aliens. Yeah, we are fighting.
0: So there's there's a term in business called headwinds. Oh, I don't where we're like, so so for example, if you're trying to get like savings on a project, and the price of everything like oil or something goes up, which ratchets up the price of everything else, you refer to that by saying I had headwinds on the price of oil.
1: Interesting. Okay, I didn't we know that.
0: we have headwinds today because we've drank heavily up until this point, quite heavily, and uh, yeah, yeah. So we're we're obviously in the same place. We're in San Diego. I came down to hang out with Scott, and we visited two breweries. And we're keeping this place rolling. Yeah. we this party rolling.
1: We did our normal SoCal Comics stop. We hit the dollar bins. We checked out other books, current price books, some back issue books. Um, and normally, we go to Society right after, uh, which we did. We stopped in. We, we got a growler to go. But we hit up Harland, which is a great brewery here in San Diego. Uh, got a great flight over there. And then we went to, uh, what was the second place? deft was it called deft, deft? yes yeah. deft brewing and they were quite good um they it was very european there was a ton of different like english uh beers uh was there anything else was there german or? english german belgian for sure mm. and maybe Scottish, french
0: yeah, yeah i saw so, scottish yeah 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 so i mean and, and the cool thing about deft was they had flags of the country so when you were looking at the beer there was like a faded version, a watermarked version of the flag of whatever country that that beer was kind of originated from. Yeah. And uh, again, both of them were fantastic. You know, Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I know that around the country now, there are a lot of places where they talk about, they're kind of like the microbrewery capital or whatever. But man, San Diego is one of the microbrewery capitals. I mean, when we did a search at Harlan and you were like, let's go to another brewery. And I'm like, hell yeah. Yeah. What were there, six within there was three at miles? Least, at yeah. least
1: six. I stopped at six.
0: Yeah, bonkers. Yeah. And that's within like two miles, three miles. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely crazy. But anyway, you go first. So okay. yeah, what did you want to talk about this week?
1: Um, so, okay, so this week what I've been concentrating on is getting uh, stuff out for the Kickstarter. So if uh, on, on previously on making comics, um, <laughs> I had requested the books for my printer. I got them in. Everything looks great, the standard edition and the ash can edition, those came in, they look fantastic, I've uh, they've been bagged and boarded, signed, I signed them up, and uh, all the those tiers who got the standard edition with the ash can, uh, those are all bagged and boarded already, and I've already, um, I'm halfway done in the process of uh, packing them up, putting them in the envelopes, and they're going to go out first thing Monday morning, so... Um, As far as my time frame goes, I've gotten them out in the month of uh, June, and so that's a full month before the due date. So the month of due date is July, so that's you get July 31st, Um, so they'll be coming in, you'll probably get them July 1st, July 2nd, something like that. So I'm very happy about that. And uh, I even did uh, the, the little sheet I was talking about that logs the differences between the drawtober editions, and the second shift 11, uh, things that I've added or changed uh, to to those editions. So um, I put that little list there, I created it, it was kind of fun looking through to see what I had changed. The funny part is, I I guess I previously counted them, because in the letters page, I said, yeah, look for the 12 changes that I did in this this, uh, uh, edition. And I was like, oh shit, there's 12 changes. So I had to go through with a fine tooth comb and find the 12 changes that I had done. So some, if you are a backer of that project, some are very noticeable. Some are not so much, you have to look for it. You know, it could be the difference of adding a little, uh, changing the dimension of the panel and the image, like adding a little bit to each side, cropping um, or straight up changing things completely. So uh, be on the lookout. If you've done that, check that stuff out. And there's a little, little check sheet that I uh, put in the back of the book as well. So you, you can uh, physically handwrite what the changes were or you thought the changes were, and then when you flip it over is the answer sheet.
0: How about you give listeners one example of an incredibly subtle change that you made? So like whatever number 11 is on like the change list, what was that? You know what I mean, and, and 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 what's the difference? And maybe you can explain it to people that way. Oh. That that way, listening to the podcast has a true benefit. Not that there isn't benefits already, but okay. Yeah, there, there's like there's like a big change, right? So now they can they can already get an answer for free thanks to teacher.
1: Okay, so if you are listening to this podcast and you back this 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 project, I'm going to give you the answer to number one. Page one, um, and and like the cheat sheet is. It it like helps you out a lot because it's one through 12. It's not a blank one through 12. It'll say page one, page two, panel two, page, you know, one, page two, panel one, page one, panel two, whatever, blah, blah, blah. So um, I'll give you the first answer. Page one, I removed a very thick bold line around the character's arm and gas tank or um, uh, pump in the foreground. And if you look, it's very blatant. So like it's it's not it, like when I describe it to you right now, it sounds like, whoa, that's kind of a stupid change. But when you look at the image, when you look at the drawtober, there's a the thick line that goes around the character's arm and hand and holding the gas pump. Like it's very noticeable. So if you were looking, you can go, hey, I think this is the different thing. And you would be right. Um, so there's things like that. So that's number one. But there's, like I said, there's stuff that's kind of subtle. And there's stuff that's blatant. So um, I would put that kind of in the subtle category. But just looking at the two images back to back, again, you ha- you're you going to have the ash can and the book side by side. So it's going to be very obvious when you're looking at it. But there's other things that might be a little more subtle than that.
0: Cool, cool. And, and I think what that's what's especially cool about that is that in a lot of ways, what you just said ties to the conversations that we've had the last few weeks, right, about what what changes matter to the creator and what changes matter to the, the people that are reading it you know so for those of you out there that are creators i think it's it's a pretty cool thing to like to, you know if if you back the campaign to take a look at these two things and then say okay what's what's different do i care do i care as a consumer do I care as a creator, right? And so uh, so it'll be something pretty interesting to look at. So yeah, while I was talking, Scott went ahead and put the ash can in front of me, and you're right. So on the ash can, there's a very thick outline around the hand and the gas pump, and in the colored version... It's what I would consider like a normal comic book line around the hand.
1: yeah, a little so. more subtle. yeah,, uh, there's some nice line weight to it as opposed to a, a bold outline.
0: Yeah. So why did you make this change? Was it because, because I didn't it was- like it? Okay.
1: I didn't like it. and And so when I was doing the drawtober stuff, it was like, okay, if you're doing a timed a timed thing, right? Like you have to get it out every day. It's just kind of like comics in a way not every page that you put out if you're on a deadline is you're going to be completely happy with and so at the end of the day it's what i did i was like okay well this hand in this this pump is in the foreground so it needs it needs a bolder line because it is in the foreground and i need to show depth but after i did i was like you know what it is correct but it also isn't pleasing to my eye personally and um i don't know it might have been fine once it was colored but looking at it in black and white, I didn't care for it. So I went and I redrew it uh, without such a thick line weight, and I enjoy it way more, especially when it's colored. I was like, "Yeah, that's sick. I like it better." So there's just things you can do when you have a little bit more time. But when you're on those deadlines, you kind of got it. You got to do what you got to do, and you got to move forward. And and it's um, I can't remember the artist, unfortunately. So I apologize. But his line was, "I'll do better next time." I'll remember and do better next time. And so for me, sometimes I'm like, you know what? Looking back at that, I don't really like that panel, but I'll do better next time.
0: You know, what's interesting, though, is as I'm looking at both of these, the way I see this is like what you could have told me that I would have been like, yeah, cool, is that the ash can, which is in black and white with the thick outline around the hand and around the gas pump works for black and white. Right. So if I'm looking at this as a black and white comic with no like tone shading, right? what the outline does is it draws my attention as a reader to the hand and the gas pump, which is the point. It, right. is, the, it is the dominant action it in is the, the panel the, that you need to take away from this. Mm-hmm. When I then go to the color version, it's color. So I'm looking at a sky. I'm looking at a car windshield. You know, a car side uh, side window. What's probably an overhang of a gas station. I'm assuming, mm-hmm. and probably you know, again, whatever this is, texture of a car with color. The colors allow that to pop. But with black and white, you don't have color to really help you out. Right. So the outline serves as a way of showing, like, okay, this is your emphasis. So to me, you could have said one is in black and white and one is in color, and I would have been like, yeah, it makes sense because. Right. Once you color the hand in the gas pump, you don't need to thick outline it anymore because the color itself is going to draw the reader's attention instead of a thick outline. You right. to do it. You right. know what I mean? So mm-hmm. many. Yeah, yeah. Pretty, pretty interesting stuff though. Very cool. Yeah. Thanks. Very cool. This is, this is a fun thing to do. We were just talking about this, I think last episode, right? Like director's cut stuff, right. you know, like the kind of stuff that you can glean from comics while you're enjoying comics. Something people ask me a lot at conventions is, like, what's a good way to, like, learn how to make comics? And one of my favorite things to tell them is, ideally, find um, trade paperbacks with a lot of cool tchotchkes at the end. You know, with a lot mm. of cool things. And, and one of the things I always like to mention is, look at the end of a trade paperback and see if there are, like, ideally scripts pencils to inks and things like that because there are lots of of graphic novels out there where they'll throw stuff at the end where they show you here are the pencils and here are the inks and here's the script and then you get to see it and in fact in scott's right now he just while i was talking showed that like you have thumbnails and then it goes to a double page spread so again these kind of things are like very valuable if you're still If you still have questions about how to make comics and and what to do when you're making them or what the process is and how you can kind of evolve
1: things. Right. Yeah. And then so if you guys get this book, if you have it um, or if you order it. um, So in what Keith is talking about specifically is, yes, I do have the thumbnails for this Drawtober edition that I did. And essentially it's page by page what I was going to draw. Um, But I also show how I laid those pages out and turn them into panels. And so you go through different iterations. So like I had a first take where it had a very 90s styles panel, which I do love. I love the 90s, but my current aesthetic just doesn't work with it. And I didn't feel like this particular flow of how I laid these panels out. It worked fine. But it wasn't what I was looking for, so I readjusted and I just made it a panel shape but angular, and it just flows so much better for me personally. So you can take a look that look at that if you pick this book up. It's Second Shift Eleven, and I'll have it up on the Accidental Aliens website probably within the month um, because I do want to get the kickstarter editions out first so when you back the kickstarter i want to make sure you guys get it before the the public gets it um so but once you get that book if you get that book you'll see what we're talking about
0: yeah i think this is super cool i mean as someone who is not dialed into the visual aspect of actually making comics although you know again i've I've dabbled a little bit when it comes to the upcoming comic animals um this sort of stuff is has a lot of value you know, if I was like looking to make a comic, I would I would take a lot of value out of how this process works. Um, so yeah, very very cool stuff. Very cool stuff. Um, and how about
1: you, man? What was your first
0: thing yeah, for Yeah, so week? well, my first thing is my only thing, you know, cuz we I think we have some other things we want to talk about this oh, week. Oh, true. Yes, um, yes. we've got we've got book recommendations up ahead and then we've got woo a by my count about a at seven eight inch stack of comics that we need to talk our way through from some purchases we made today i would say it's the equivalent of half of a short box yeah yeah we we got we bought we got books so um yeah so for me the thing that i've been working a lot on this week has been there's a i think there's a official phrase for it i hope there's official phrase for it because someone told told it to me and i'm just banking that that's the phrase it's a phrase called riff writing fleshing out My lead character with scenes that I don't necessarily intend to be in the novel And so what I've done is I have picked a whole lot of select points within my lead character's life Where I want to write a scene and that scene will probably not make it to the final novel And so I I think I did age maybe 16 uh, a, a particular scene an age 17 scene then I jumped ahead to age 21, and then I wrote a bunch of scenes at age 24, and then wrote a scene at age 26, and that's where I am right now. I would highly recommend this type of thing. It it has great value. When we talk about the first draft of Kadoja volume one, when I sent this script out to Rory and Lance, when we were a three person team, and we were just sharing everything equally, which is why we're equally billed when it comes to like the rights to Kadoja, the questions they had back were inevitably character, right? The plot was tight, you know. Voice doesn't really exist in comics because voice tends more about like what you're what you're saying when dialogue isn't happening,
1: you know. So oh. there are
0: no words to really kind of get. Voicing. That's so
1: interesting because just those two terms alone, I actually in my brain without you explaining it, I was like. Okay, character is the things that you don't say, and voice is the thing that the character does say. Mm-hmm. Just based off of the words.
0: Yeah, yeah. So, so characters, when, when you develop character, what you're probably developing, and I'm kind of rhyming off the dome here, but like what you're developing is what they actually say and what they actually do. Their behaviors, their actions, whatever. Your voice tends to be the things you bring as an author or as a narrator to the thing. Oh, I see. You know, to to
1: to the. Well, prompt. and that's very relevant in comics still. Mm-hmm. With certain auth- authors, for instance, like Bendis. Hmm. You read a Bendis book, you almost always know you're reading a Bendis book because his voice does come through.
0: Yes, totally, totally. Right. And I think, and I think there are other art there are other authors where their voice becomes noticeable after multiple passes you know so like i like jeff lemire i think that's how i pronounce it. lemire name. lemire okay I, I think that's the second time i butchered that on this it's podcast. okay yeah yeah it's fine yeah
1: lemire it's all written you know what i mean like yeah, we yeah, don't yeah. hear it all the time totally, so totally. But when i hear it in interviews it's lemire okay so yeah. so yeah jeff
0: lemire i know from experience that i really like reading his stuff something that we've talked about before and that i'll mention again on this podcast daniel Warren Johnson. You know, it takes a few properties for you to realize like, ooh, I like this person. And those are for the people with voices that might be a little less noticeable. Where to your point, you pick up a Bendis comic, you know in three pages that it's a Bendis comic, you know? So for me, character is the thing I need to work on. And that's why investing time in doing this riff writing, in doing this, let's just call it off-screen writing if you don't want to have a, a clever thing a name for it is very, very valuable. And I think that it's equally valuable in
1: prose and in comics. Absolutely. The, on the art side of that, um, it's, it's, uh, and you'll see it a lot in a lot of artists because it doesn't happen every single time is, um, creating character sheets, like doing your characters in different poses, different uh, expressions, right? Are they happy? Are they sad? Uh, you know, are they excited? Or are they scared? So for you artists out there, it's something that's very important. Uh, it'll really help you have a consistency when you draw your characters, you know, draw the character's face in, in different expressions, but also draw like certain features, right? That's something I've gotten better with over the years is like, okay, what does this character's nose look like in comparison to this other character's nose? You know what I mean? It's just like don't draw all women's – all women characters' noses the same. Don't put all boys' noses uh, noses the same. You have to really – Uh, delineate from each one make sure they kind of stand on their own you know do a study like different nationalities and cultures and stuff how facial structures differ um something that you'll see a lot in a lot of artists is they will draw their own face so certain artists like you'll go like well this artist always draws the nose this way and it's because it's their nose so you you really and it's like an active effort to study other things like that you know so just really break down the face see how some lips are thick some some are thin um, some jawlines are strong some jawlines are soft so it's just a, a matter of looking at those details breaking them down and practicing other things beyond what you know so like if someone asked you hey draw me a nose without knowing it you are more than likely gonna draw your own nose so uh, just study other noses and what those look like at different angles and that'll help a lot and uh, yeah, so I find it to be uh, something similar.
0: Uh, yeah. No, that, that that, and that totally makes sense from a visual perspective.
1: And I think from a, from a
0: writing perspective, from a storytelling perspective, when we get back to this idea of character writing, off screen writing, riff writing, whatever you want to call it, for those of you that haven't tried it, I, I highly recommend it because you can think something about your character. You know, you can think this character's tough or this character's emotionally resilient. But it's one thing to think that and just assume it about your character and another to write a scene where you witness it happening in real time. You learn about that character in real time. So that's why that kind of thing has value. You can know just like you know anything about a person. You can say like, oh, that person's tough or that person's smart or that person's stupid or whatever. But until you see it in a scene, You know, it's not concrete. And so that's why writing all these scenes that may never make the light of day is still important to you because you now saw it happen. You spoke it into existence. You created it. And now you have just another little element that you know there's, here's this five minute, ten minute, whatever it is, segment in this character's life that is the building block for the things that I'm trying to put into this character. So... Again, a lot of value there. It's getting a ton of value for me. It's funny because I got a note from Gary uh, Hodges, who is, you know, listening to whatever the most recent podcast was, the part where I'm basically rewriting all my character stuff and it's going to make the novel an entirely different novel in a lot of ways. And he's like, sounds great. It would scare the hell out of me if I ever saw that, you know, and it's like, look, it scares the hell out of me, you know, like my due date on the novel has been pushed way back. If I get this done by June 2022, I'll be thrilled. If I get it done by Halloween 2022, I'll still be happy. Because I know there's a lot of work ahead of me, but I don't want to be afraid of that work. Because at the end of this, I'm going to have a novel that's substantially better than the one that I had a couple months ago.
1: Yeah. Character consistency is key. So, you know, just this, I think that's like the title for this episode is character consistency. You know, if it's on a visual front, or if it's on a personal front for that character, that character needs to feel real. And the way that character reacts to everything has to be consistent. And when the character does act out of turn, it's very noticeable.
0: Yeah, makes sense. Makes sense. Yeah. So
1: did you have anything
0: else you wanted to talk about, or do we want to move to our book
1: recommendations? No, let's let's, let's do the books. Um, we got more than enough stuff every week. So yeah, we can definitely... Tackle other stuff uh, on the next episode, but yeah. yeah, let's let's focus on the books. Yeah, I think we wanted to keep it a little bit light
0: in terms of content, so we could finally catch up on some of the comic books that we wanted to talk about and recommend. So I think you and I, oh have
1: yeah, well, uh, Rex first. Yeah, two
0: comics that we
1: wanted to recommend, and then we'll go
0: over our purchases. So did you want to go first, or do you want me to go first?
1: Yeah, I can I can go first. Um, one of the books that I want to rec is Time Before Time by Declan Shalvey and Rory McConville um that i think that book came out uh, by the time you guys listen to this it's maybe five weeks in and I, I had it for about three weeks as we record this three to maybe four and uh, it was the i fanboy pick of the week and i always like to check out their pick of the weeks especially if they're number one it's just like okay that's brand new i can hop in and if i enjoy it i can continue if not i can hop off no big deal and uh, this book was really good it's like a time a time travel adventure it's kind of like um Oh uh, shoot. What was that what was that movie Um with Bruce Willis and uh Oh shit. You're talking about twelve monkeys? No, no, no. The, well that's a great movie. But it's like um Um there's a younger version of him and he goes to the future to kill himself. And the future version is Bruce Willis. And it's just because it's like like, because they're a hitman and they get paid for every hit or whatever, mm-hmm. right? So they have to the time travel. And so he finds out the person that he's, because they have that cloak over their head, so mm-hmm. they can't kill him, okay. right? And then so he accidentally, the cloak comes off because he gets away and finds out he's about to kill himself in the future. And it's because what the company likes to do is they don't get to spend the money that they're owed. So if you shoot him... You get to keep the money. So this this book kind of reminds me of that. But it's like um, two guys that work for a company where they transport people throughout time uh, in the past usually uh, and, and to escape the the current time, which is a mess. Okay. So it's just a very interesting story. It's very different than a lot of stuff that I'm reading. So it's only on episode, or issue one. More than likely by the time you guys listen to this, issue two has come out. So Time Before Time. Uh, give that a look. It's uh, Image Comics.
0: That sounds amazing. And I wish I would have looked for that while we were in the shop today. But, uh,
1: Shit, I should have probably told you what my two wrecks were. Sorry, no, my you, bad.
0: You, in fairness, you did send me the text about time before time. That's okay. On, that's on me. That's on me. So, uh, And then the second wreck we've already talked about. So I like that book too. So we're feeling good there. So uh, yeah, time before time sounds pretty cool. And I am a sucker for time travel stuff. I love time travel
1: the name of the movie is Looper.
0: Oh, Looper! Okay.
1: Yeah, see, I never saw that movie. Great movie. I need to see it. Great movie. I mean, given how uh, much Ryan I get... Johnson's a shit. Yeah. Director for what he did to Star Wars, uh, but <laughs> Looper is a great movie. Scott thinks Ryan Johnson Correct. is a shit.
0: Director. More accurate. Keith, he, however, hearts Ryan Johnson. Keith for and for the... Gary
1: love for the... that hot garbage. For, the, but, for uh, the rare, they're still my friends. For the rare good movie in the new trilogy Jesus of Star Christ. Wars. <laughs> okay, he likes the prequels. Don't mm-hmm. judge him.
0: No, okay, so no, I, no I don't I don't hate the prequels. By the way, people <laughs> probably drink like a, five times.
1: Yeah. It's a it's a significance difference.
0: If you difference. have a if you have like a fifth of an alcohol and you decided you wanted to drink on every Star Wars reference, you probably should have drank about half that bottle given what we just did. <laughs> yeah. Right. Okay, so we're gonna get to my first recommendation, which is a book that I've floated a little bit on the podcast before. And which I just hinted at, given the author, and it's Daniel Warren Johnson, and the book is Murder Falcon, which we talked about before. And so in the time between, again, I've been really good about reading two, sometimes even more, comics with my coffee over over every day that's passed um, since I started doing that. And Murder Falcon is amazing. So it it is a book about... The best way to describe it is that uh, a guy who's in a band that kind of had a peak moment about a year and a half ago, and then the band broke up for reasons you don't know early in the comic, um, they he finds a guitar, and this guitar, whenever he picks it up and starts shredding, conjures up a massive falcon with, like, a robot arm that can kill, like, sort of other world kaiju almost yeah. like they're not massive kaiju but they're like good 30 to 70 feet big you know so they're they're substantial and it allows this and he's murder. about a
1: he's about a size of a dude a yeah. dude plus yeah so. he's
0: basically like a jack dude he'd be like seven feet tall
1: and incredibly jacked yeah um if it was and the like, robot arm is massive and, and the, yeah, fucking awesome totally like a cable arm almost, yeah yeah when you, when like even bigger yeah it's like three times the size of the arm that should be attached. In. Yes.
0: Yes. So uh, anyway, so basically the murder Falcon gets strength off the metal, right? And, and that's ends up being the whole premise. The, the, the plot of the book loosely is that he tries to get the band back together, keeps on recruiting people, people who have magic instruments end up having this instrument be kind of like an avatar for some otherworldly being that comes in to fight these kaiju it is delightful i don't was it daniel warren johnson's
1: first thing uh it was his his first solo project as far as i know okay it's so it is it is absolutely wonderful um
0: i enjoyed it the whole time it's got a lot of like Tenacious D, the pick of destiny, you know, the metal, you know, like there's a, there's an extra. So like their version of like the zone for people that are familiar with either sports or the movie soul, where they talk about like the zone where people can exist in like this zone, Mm -hmm. their version of that is called the heavy. And, uh, and so when you uh-huh. tap into the heavy, you get into some like amazing things. And so there are all kinds of metal references all over the place for somebody like me who loves metal. It's an absolute slam dunk, but even if you don't love metal, it's wonderful. And the thing that I was surprised about was that without revealing how it ends, I choked up a little bit at the end mm-hmm. because there's a, there's a really cool cameo from, from a, a, a person. And that cameo really brings on home. It resonates. It resonates. And it also um, ends up kind of really carrying the emotional end of the story. Right. So I I love Murder Falcon. The best part about it is you can probably find it for cover price or cheaper damn near everywhere. Yeah. It's, it's a little bit slept on right now, but um, I encourage people to check it out. I adored it. And again, what I didn't expect is the heart that's inside it, which really comes out in the last issue or two there. So it's a very sweet book, but it's a very metal book.
1: And uh, to me, that makes it the best book because the art is also incredible. And we've talked about in a previous episode, uh, I, I got a bunch of books in the dollar bin and you were letting me know that there was a lot of homage covers to actual band uh, album covers. So that yeah. that's pretty cool too.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So that was my first one. What is your second
1: one? Uh, it would be Moonshine. So funny enough, uh, as of this recording, Keith threw it in his stories that he was still doing um, or, uh, music and comics and pairing pairing uh, albums with comics. And so that was one of the things in his stories. And I saw that he was uh, reading Moonshine today. And that's something that we both picked up in Midtown Comics' Once in a Blue Moon Flash sales. They have a dollar comic sale. And so they did this multi-page thing where there was like freaking 15 pages worth of random books for a buck. And so we both managed to pick up Moonshine number one. The, the, the funny part is this book came out in 2016. It's, in a fan, it's a fantastic series. So I saw that he was reading that today and I was like, hey, fuck it. I, I got that book too. Let me read it. And uh, I loved it. The, the covers that we both got the same cover, I don't know if it's the main cover, but it is done by Frank Miller, and the interior art is very reminiscent of Frank Miller, it's not like full on Sin City style. But it's an amalgamation of that mixed with his kind of current style. A simple line with heavy blacks, spotted blacks. And uh, it's, it's very beautiful. It's a very beautiful book. The story is interesting. It takes place a little bit in the past, right? Yeah, it's like... Um, yeah, it's it's the uh, uh, 20s. 20s, 20s, mm-hmm. the roaring 20s.
0: 19, 1920s, because now we're in the 2020s.
1: <laughs> yeah, that's right. So uh, 1920s. Um, so the the plot is the this mob, they want these hillbillies moonshine, uh, hence the title. And uh, there's werewolves, hence the title. So uh, that's clever in itself. Uh, The art's beautiful. The story's excellent. So give that a look if you can. I think they're in like the 20s or the 30s as far as number count goes. And uh, so I'm looking forward to trying to search those down if I can. Hopefully I can find a lot on eBay so I can just Pick them all up at once, Um, but uh, actually, no. We got a couple issues in the dollar bin today. We did. We, we. I made the joke when I first
0: walked in because he. So I. This was just this morning where I was reading this at my coffee and I posted about it. Then Scott was like, "Dude, I read Moonshine One." So when I walked into SoCal Comics and met him, I'm like, "Dude, do I need to race you to the M section right now?" (laughs) And and we we uh, we agreed. So it was good, and it turned out that I think every book that we wanted, they either had two for both of us or they only had one for me, but you had it already, yeah. which worked out really well. It so. really
1: did. And so the writer of that book is Brian Azzarello, and the cartoonist is uh, Christian Rossi. So give that a look. Oh, or Gerard uh, Fletcher. So I have, it says authors, Chris, uh, uh, authors, Brian Azarello, he's a writer, and there's two different artists listed, so I, I maybe they're taking turns during the storyline, Christian Rossi and uh, Jared K. Fletcher. Are
0: they both listed as artist or because uh, like, one, one might is be the colorist?
1: One is listed as cartoonist oh. and one is American artist. Interesting. Yeah, so they okay. they might be taking turns on uh, art tours. Okay, cool. Yeah, right cool. on. What's yours? Uh,
0: so my second one, I'm
1: gonna I'm gonna be
0: a little personal here and stick close to the company that I'm part of, which is Two One Five Inc. And I'm gonna talk about a book that that I was a big proponent of. When it came through our open submission system, you know, this is a good time to mention that 215 Inc. is one of the, I don't think there are that many comics out there that have an open submissions policy. Mm. So we review every comic that comes through. Um, You have to follow our guidelines, which are on the 215 Inc. website, but we will review anything. Um, There are a lot of companies out there that don't necessarily have open submissions, but 215 has, has an open submission policy. And when this book came across, I was uh, on it from the, from the second I saw it. It's a book called Freaks and Gods. What it does is it repurposes public domain superhero characters and puts them in a present context and tales a, tells a story of this kind of time-traveling portal that deposits the three main heroes into different times to like solve an issue, solve a problem, but also perhaps lead to a a brick in the larger mystery. And the three characters that are the titles are, I believe the first one is Atum, which is based on, I believe, the Egyptian god. Mm -hmm. And Atum is like a god that used to be basically the most powerful god in existence, and now has been stripped a lot of its powers because of the damn Dark Tunnel. So Atum just generally like curses the Dark Tunnel, like I used to be the most powerful god, now I'm just simply a good fighter, you know, that kind of thing. And then there's also Barghest, which is a, uh, a gentleman who's been transformed into a werewolf, that has a kind of a sword that uh, glows when evil is in its presence. And then the third character is a a Steve Steff, which is a character that is randomly either a man or a woman because it was two people fused together at the time of the Dark Tunnel. And then they proceed to have a bunch of wild adventures. It is extremely old school Kirby in the best way in nature. Mm. And that's what drew me to it. It, again, am I saying the artist Jack Kirby? Nobody's Jack Kirby, but it's fun. There's a hint
1: there, maybe an influence there. Very Kirby-esque, right? And it's
0: it's you know it's it's old school. It's fun. It's goofy. There's. You know, crazy exposition. You know, one of the things I like, I think uh, the first villain they come with is like the King of the Undead. Mm. And when you get the intro, the King of the Undead is like in a creepy font, you know, just like old school style. Yeah, yeah. And then the King of the Undead has this hand that's floating that can expand or contract and like do all these nasty things. And it's called the horrible hand because it's rumored to be the left hand of Satan itself and, you know, all this stuff. So it's like, if that kind of thing is your jam... I highly recommend you uh, check out Freaks and Gods. Well, I definitely
1: want to check that out. That yeah. sounds super cool. So the first four issues are already out. Right on. Yeah, I'll, I'll talk to you, uh, Jamie about that. See if we can get it in SoCal because that sounds pretty cool. Okay, so that, those were our suggestions for the week. So uh, when you can, uh, check those things out, and uh, you know, let us know what you think of those books, or if you're already reading them, let me know if you're enjoying them as just as much as we are. And- it is time for us. So again,
0: we met earlier today at SoCal Comics. We both have massive stacks of comics in front of us, so we're gonna roll through, through them, man. You want to go first?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So uh, Keith was uh, on a trip. Wait, th- were these torpedo comics? Were these from a trip, or were these online? So that was from Orange. Uh, it was it was whatever the
0: is it torpedo? you Torpedo see on the cover? says on torpedo the... comics is a shop in Orange, California. Okay, so not too far from here. My kid was in an athletic competition. And she had, like, I think two hours off or something like that. Oh, it was my older kid. So because of COVID protocols, no one, like, if the kid is older, this was Alyssa. Mm -hmm. She's 20. So she can't have a parent or guardian in because only kids 18 or under could have a parent or guardian accompany them. So I was just killing time following her. And I was like, well, let me go to a nearby city and see if there's a comic shop. So I went to Torpedo Comics they uh, they didn't have anything for me, but turned out they had some in, uh, some comics for Scott.
1: Hell yeah! So Keith got me uh, some of the last books that I needed on my Invincible run. So if you guys have been following my Invincible journey, uh, if you haven't, you should definitely check out my YouTube because I've documented every Invincible issue I've gotten, uh, like legitimately every single issue. Because um, I recorded the very first issue I bought, and and I've gotten. All of them as as the last months have gone by. So what Keith got me was uh, 78, 96, 97, and 108. And those were some of the few books that I needed left. I think at that point I needed about 6 to 10 at most. Um, Since then, I've completed my invincible journey. And uh, it was pretty fucking awesome. So I'm glad I own all of those. I have a shit ton of doubles. And uh, so now I'm focusing on Savage Dragon a lot. Plus random other stuff... um, uh that that I've been looking for over the years and, and maybe decided to focus on. Um so okay so out of the current books that I got, I'm gonna do that first. So a couple of books I got was Ultra Mega number four. Do you know what this goes up to? Is it four? Four of four. Okay, now, four of
0: four? I was I was a little chicken shit because technically I could log into previews pull box right now. Yes. Yeah. You know comic book hideout uses it. Okay. I wasn't ready to pull the plug just in case there's a five. But I'm pretty sure it's four or four. Okay. In fact, let me just pull. Yes. Yeah, okay. Since, since I read number four already, okay. I'm pretty sure that this is an end. Okay. So yeah. No. No. At the end, it says next issue. Okay. So right on. We are not done. Okay. And, and that's what what cued me into it.
1: Okay. Cool. So Ultra Mega number four by Image Comics. This is a James Heron book. He is the primary creator. He does the letter or he does the writing and the art. And then we have Dave Stewart on colors. This book is awesome. Hold up. Hold up. You're talking about it like we didn't spend 25 minutes going in-depth on issue one. Right, You know what I mean? Like,
0: it's ultra-mega. We've already...
1: uh, Established our fandom of it. We've
0: already established our fandom of it, despite, you know, the things that are a little wonky about it. It's a fun read. Although what was interesting is, when we were at SoCal Comics, Dennis was talking about how it wasn't necessarily his jam. For him, yeah. For him. It was not for him. And so, again, I think it's a bit of a... It might be a bit of a polar comic where people feel one way or the other strongly. Um, Scott and I are both big fans of it. But, uh, you know, so just be measured in your expectations on it that it also might not be
1: your jam. Right. Um, uh, One that just came out this Wednesday was Vinyl Number 1. I saw it in the solicits. I had no idea what it was about. And I really like the cover art on it. I've seen two different covers. I got one that has a bloody bear mask on a dude. And so that looked cool to me. Both of the covers I liked, and I'm going through the art right now. This is very Ryan Otley. So this is, the artist is uh, Daniel Hilliard. So just looking at this book, I know he is a fan of uh, Ryan Otley. And so if you're a a fan of Ryan Otley, uh, I'm probably going to like your stuff. So I'm I'm digging this already, and uh, hopefully the story's good. And if I like it, I'm going to put that on my pull list. I always pick up issues first before they go straight on the pull list. I have to make sure the story and the art is good. If that is the case, then it goes on the pull list. Um, Okay, so going to dollar bin books. So I like to hit the dollar bin when Keith is around. It's usually about once a month. So it gives me some time to build up stuff on my want list. And uh, like we just talked about, Moonshine number one was excellent. So uh, I got issues six, nine, 10. I already own 11. I found that for a quarter on my Las Vegas trip. So go to my uh, my YouTube page to look that up. And then uh, 13 and 21. So this book goes all the way up to 21 as far as we know, as far as the dollar bins go. And uh, yeah, such an such a excellent title. So I, I'm pretty excited about that. Um, Keith turned me on to the series uh, Magnus, so it is a take on Magnus Robot Fighter, it is the 20th iteration of this this uh, character, it also even features a Turok backup issue, but uh, instead of the standard uh, Magnus in the loincloth, it is a female character, very robotic, kind of like... I don't know. What did you say when you... What was your description of this book? Let's table it for my section. Okay, okay, you got some too? Okay. All right, so we'll we'll table that for a minute. And then after that, I just went to the Old Faithful. I was like, you know what? I want to get to 12. Um, Turns out, I found 19 copies of the New Mutants that I needed. So I put back Magnus Robot Fighter... Or Magnus... Uh, four and five in order to get to 24 I had 26 books so I put Mm -hmm. back four and five I can get those later no problem and uh, but I grabbed a whole shitload of new mutants um, that that I was I was going through I got a lot of the key issues of new mutants so that's not the problem but it's just like all the filler books so so 19 uh, 19 issues of the new mutants
0: yeah yeah yeah, you definitely didn't get 87 in there, I bet.
1: No, no, no. <laughs> you
0: couldn't couldn't find that. I relevant. got the... um.
1: Yeah, man, even back in the day, I couldn't even get it. It was already... Like, I was a kid, so I couldn't afford it. Yeah. Uh, so I got the second printing of 87. But uh, what was Deadpool? 98, right? Um, SoCal hooked that up. I got it. Was that the
0: story you told yeah, from before? Yeah, I told before. Yeah, yeah. Okay. yeah, yeah.
1: So I got 98, Deadpool's first appearance on a sweet deal there. I love SoCal. But uh, as of right now, I don't have the first... First printing of Cable's first... I have the second printing. It ain't worth dick. Yeah. But, but I still got it. So What's whatever. What's the first printing worth now? A couple hundred for sure. Okay. For sure. Yeah, paying I was... at least two.
0: I was done with my comic shopping a little before Scott. So I just milled around and started just staring at stuff. And of course, in the glass cabinets, in the glass cubicles in the middle where they have all the expensive comics... It was basically like a horror show <laughs> of comics that I once had. <laughs> so, <laughs> but sure. I will say I don't feel as bad. I mean, look, we make a joke about this. I joked about it last week. You know, like there are books that I got rid of that are worth a lot more. Although I was pleased to say, see that they weren't worth as much more as I thought. So I was like, oh... That's only worth 180 dollars instead of 600. I feel somehow slightly better for selling it for 10. <laughs> you know, whatever it
1: is, right? So anyway, like it's wild to think about 90s books being worth anything because you because everything in the 90s you would think was printed uh, over and over again to where it, they wouldn't be worth shit. But there's plenty of 90 books that are worth a uh, uh, you know in the two two to four hundred dollar range, it's kind of wild.
0: Completely. And and you know what's interesting is you know, this is why it goes back to my, my wife tells me, don't you dare get rid of anything ever. You know, um and, and I think to people out there that are buying comics, collecting comics, etc., I've said this about other things and apologies if I'm repeating myself from something on the podcast. The best thing you can do is walk in a comic shop and buy stuff cover price right now. Right. Just like pick stuff you like, buy it, and don't get rid of it. And you'd be shocked. I mean, when I was walking around looking at books, not just the marquee books, like we're not talking about, so Spider-Man, Amazing Spider-Man 361 was the first appearance of Carnage. That's obviously the one that's worth a ton of money. But here's what's interesting. 363 is worth a ton. Mm. 364 is worth a ton. You know, they had 363 for $90. You know, 364 was 75. So... The best thing to do whenever you're getting into any kind of collecting, I generally tell people, just buy the stuff that's retail right now.
1: you know and so and, and, and here's a clue to that too, by the way. So you're not getting overwhelmed and walking to a comic store thinking you're gonna have to drop hundreds of dollars to make sure you don't miss out on that next character that is carnage or Deadpool or cable. Very cle- uh, key- uh, very key words that Keith just said. Buy comics that you like. Don't go out there thinking you're going to make a million dollars on a book. If you read a book and you like it, if you want to buy a second copy, it ain't going to hurt you. But don't go out there thinking everything is going to be that way. We're comic fans number one. So you you need to read the books and if you enjoy it, then go ahead and invest in it if you want to. If uh, one copy of each is good enough for you, then one copy of each is good enough for you. Just just don't make that your whole livelihood. And I think it'll make it easier on a lot of people that are comic collecting, worrying about what the next big hit is. Don't worry about that. Just read comics, collect what you want, collect what you enjoy. Yeah, you know, if if, you, if, if there's people talking about a certain book, pick it up, check it out. If you like it, it's for you. Then keep reading it. Uh, what was that book you like? Uh, Department of Truth, right? Yeah. Uh, it, the the art style is not for me. It's a it's for a lot of people, but in this specific case, it is not for me. But I've been hearing great things about the book. I'm not breaking my neck trying to go get that book. It's it's just it's all personal preference. There's nothing wrong with. It. I've never read the book, so I'm not judging the book. That's not what I'm saying. It's just like. There are certain aspects about comic collecting that I enjoy and that I look for, and and that book just doesn't specifically have it for me, and that's okay. There's yeah. no problem with that.
0: Totally, totally. So yeah, I mean that's that's the thing, right? You got to draw the line somewhere. Draw it with the stuff you love. Get the stuff you love and go from there. So right. anyway, perfect. Um, all right. So we're gonna get to my stuff. So I'll save this for a little bit later. Actually, let's let's go in kind of like the order that I shopped in. Okay. So I I wanted to hit the dollar bins first because I. I'm sort of pleased with myself because you and you uh, hit me to the Midtown Comics 99 cent sale. And so he and I, Scott and I, put these orders together. I got that order, you know, uh, a couple weeks ago. And my, my goal was I wanted to read through everything before I came here because I just wanted to see, like, is there a book I like so I can get it? And it turned out it paid off very well because that's the first book here, which I got some copies of, too, which was Moonshine. I read Moonshine this morning. So the good news is I was able to get uh, six more copies of Moonshine, you know, in the series by simply reading it this morning and realize I liked it, you know. So that was a nice thing there. Um, But there are other books where, you know, look, some of the books that I read, in fact, uh, on the car ride, we were talking about a book that I particularly didn't like where I just felt like it was... It had some things where I took issue with from the writing point right. of view, mm-hmm. and I don't need to buy any more of them. But you know what? Ninety nine cents to give it a try—nothing wrong with
1: that. Yeah, that's a great barrier for entry. Yeah, exactly. So, uh,
0: so that was the first little run I got there, and then um, I did look for Martian Manhunter. This is the twelve issue maxi series by uh, Orlando and Rosmo. So uh, I had, Rosmo. yeah, I'd had number one of that. And, uh, and liked it enough to give it a go. So I found two, three, four, and 11. and then I'll worry about filling the collection there. Um, we'll save this for last. So another book that I found out about through Midtown comics and I had almost thrown it in as like a, whatever, give it a try, is a Marvel book, uh, Old Man Logan, which based on what I understand was the basis of the movie Logan. Right or at least the no, Old
1: Man Logan, the original series came from Mark Miller and Steve McNiven years ago. Okay, Um, and that was that was the start of the movie. That's what triggered uh, a lot of the events in the movie.
0: No, no, and that that's you know that that's what I meant. Like conceptually, this idea of Old Man Logan, right?
1: right? But then
0: then after that, probably maybe even after the movie, the. Comic book old man Logan came out, and the the issue that was available in Midtown Comics was issue 19. And mm-hmm. I was like, whatever, I'll try it. Well, I read it. I really liked it. So, in fact, with Old Man Logan, I uh, I decided to kind of curb myself because I've only read one issue. I could have bought about 30 issues there, yeah. but I wanted to hedge my bets a little bit. Be like, whoa, 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 let's just make sure you like it. So I bought. Uh, I don't have issue one but I have I now have two three four five six 14 15 and 16. and then I cut myself off there because it's just like all right that's that's good enough if I like it then I'll just keep on hunting for it and it'll, it'll be a fun yeah. thing to hunt for because yeah. it goes
1: to 50. yeah come back for the rest exactly whatever exactly
0: there. so yeah i'm pretty I'm excited about that that was the book I was actually most excited for to find so I'm glad I found it And then to pick up where Scott left off, I recommended Magnus to him, and Magnus Number One through Dynamite was a book that um, I also tried through the Midtown Comic Sale. Shit,
1: (laughs) I didn't didn't know it was there. Oh, Magnus Number One. Well, but I didn't know that it would be good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That was probably when I should have tried out. But fingers crossed, they didn't sell a shitload. They didn't sell out of them. And next time they do the ninety-nine cents next time they do the 99 cent sale it'll be there yeah i mean for all i know the thing about the
0: 99 cent sale is that 99 cents is what you pay for an unbagged copy an unbagged unboarded copy yeah i would not be surprised if you could log if you were able to log on to midtown comics right now and get an issue 1 like near mint for 385 or something like right, that right 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 you know they they just i, I don't doubt it it's yeah. an, it's not a hot off the shelf series. So yeah, for sure. But I dig it. So I read number one and, and the best way I can equate it to is that this is not your typical Magnus robot fighter. It's like a female person who's Dr. Magnus. And again, I haven't followed this enough to know whether it's, you know, the new Magnus or whatever, but it, it's very much iRobot by Asimov. Mm-hmm. That's the feel That's right. of it. that it. That has a really cool, like, robots are sentient and have feelings and have taken over, blah, blah, blah. So I liked that dynamic enough where I was like, I got to get some more of this. And I was thrilled to see that it had two through five there. So I have one. I just completed the run. It's a limited series that goes to five. Oh, okay. So I'm going to be reading that sooner rather than later. Right on. I'm, I'm and,
1: and I'm going to go ahead and say it is uh, the continuation because the backup story is Turok. Yeah. So the pairing of those two let, lets me believe um, that it is a continuation.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and I think what's, what's interesting, I think at some point Dynam- Dynamite... Bought some of those old characters that the old Valiant used to happen right. have, and that Valiant let them go. So Dynamite, I think, still has Magnus and still has Turok, yeah. but a few of because the they others. were
1: they, like I don't know if they were public domain, but they were definitely existing characters before. I think Key Gold Key Gold maybe? Key yeah. Gold Key was the original publisher of Yeah, or you can do um, uh, like you can contact the creators or something like that. Yeah, and you can buy the distribution. It's like much like the Shield, which is an old series. I think Archie has the rights to him at the moment. So that's a series that's been going on forever. I think Liefeld is, is doing one right now. So yeah, those there's certain characters out there that may not be in public domain quite yet. But you can contact the creator and they will let you license the book.
0: Nice,
1: nice. So um,
0: so next is, is something that was on. So I've actually found enough comics that I like oh, where I had a primary list and a secondary list. So I went through my primary list, and then I got to my secondary. And I was like, I have I have all of the Joe Hill, Hill House comics through DC on my secondary list. And I happened to find some issues. So there's about five or six, maybe five Hill House comics. And so in the dollar bin, I found uh, issues two, three, and five of Plunge, which I think is about kind of like a cavernous depth Take on Okay. If so you
1: haven't read this series, I haven't yet. read a single,
0: okay, thing, haven't read a single thing. Okay, but I knew I wanted to try it. I'm willing enough to give it a go. Horror comics are my jam. Yeah, I've been, you know, why not, right? Yeah. So One I buck. did that, and then once I got through the dollar bins, I had gotten to 25 comics, and again, like Scott had mentioned, he had like seven to go. Ended up buying 19, whatever it was. That's because SoCal Comics does a 12 for 10 thing, right? It's all dollar books. For every 10 you get, you get two for free. So I got to 25, and I'm like, ah, it's easier for me to just pay a dollar without these freebie books instead of try to pluck 11 more to get there. So I cut it off there. But what that did was it spurred on my interest in Hill House comics, so I went to the cover price section where they have recent comics that are just cover price. And I looked up all of the other Hill House comics, and I came across Daphne Byrne, which I got issues one. um, Oops, this is a different book, so let me just cue this up. Uh, here's I got Daphne Burn 1, 3, 5, and 6. Mm. So pretty good there. Yeah. I can probably even at least read number 1 and go from there. Um, the next book that I found, again, these are all Hill House at this point, uh, Basket Full of Heads.
1: Yeah, this and, I and, have heard of.
0: Okay, and all these I went ahead and just read. like There's a book that I passed on because I was like, eh, not feeling this. So I did buy the comics that I, I felt were most interesting to me. So I got Basketful of Heads 1, three, four. Oh, they had one still. Yeah, one three four five yeah. and 7, which was pretty cool. So yeah. again, I'm, I'm missing a few there. But uh, that's...
1: Basketful of Heads was actually one of the series that they had in the dollar section at Midtown. Oh. But by the time there was some kind of weird error glitch situation, by the time I reloaded my cart, it was gone. Okay. And so I was kind of bummed about that.
0: Okay. Okay, and then the book, uh, out of the Hill House books, the one that I was most interested to check out was the book called The Lolo Woods. And that's because the writer of it is um, Carmen Maria Machado, who wrote a uh, kind of horror collection called Her Body and Other Stories, which I own. Okay. And it, it, I happen to know this. It goes through uh, Grey Wolf Publishing, because as part of my novel class, one of our is special it, is guests – prose? Yeah, She. I think she was pros first. Okay. So her body and other stories is a very critically acclaimed horror collection of short stories. And so I wanted to see what her take on a comic was. And again, it looks like I've done pretty well. I just need Lola Woods number one. Oh, Um, right on. Cool. Yeah, yeah. So that was basically it. And then I'm saving this one for last only because the way that I'm presenting these comics to, to everyone is exactly how I bought them in the store. Dollar bin first. Then full price. And then I got to the counter. And when we were talking with Dennis, uh, I think he was talking about Ultra Mega. And he was like, oh, well, he grew up in Hawaii and how he's used to like OG Ultraman and OG Kamen Rider and OG Kakaida and all these things. Which led to us uh, talking about some other things. And that's when he recommended Captain Harlock number one. From Ablaze, which is based on, I think, the old um, anime or manga or both. Mm. Um, so I, I actually have some records from soundtracks of Captain Harlock because there are a few places where they got some some sampling beats. But oh, I went wow. ahead and gave this a go. So I know Captain Harlock as a property, but I've never necessarily read it. Issue one came out, so I'm going to give that a go. Yeah, and, and uh,
1: yeah. Dennis said he that was the book he's been waiting for. So awesome. yeah, it definitely helped with the sale there.
0: Yeah, and one of my favorite things in comic shops in general is what do the employees love? You know what I mean? Like, I could tell just from him talking that Dennis was so geeked out on Captain Harlock number one. And, like, that's what I look for. Like, if, if if a person who works at a comic shop is, like, that geeked over something... I would like to find out what's making you that excited. Yeah, you know? exactly. So right. I'm, I'm looking forward to reading that too. But that's that's my stack. Again, it's a good solid stack and I can't wait to go through all these.
1: Yeah, um, and Dennis was one of the the people I talked to who was just as into scouts honor as I was. So he saw that I was buying and he goes, dude, this series, I love it. And uh, he recommended it to his sons. I think he was a scout leader. His sons were scouts So, um, they're definitely in that world and he loved it. So yeah, I, I, I have a tendency to listen to, uh, Dennis's recommendations too.
0: Hell yeah. Hell yeah. So we've, we've talked for a while here. So yeah, we we ran the gamut. Yeah. You know the deal. So in terms of Instagram, you can find me at Keith underscore decibel. That's for me and my things. And then for Kadoja, there's an
1: Instagram handle for at Kadoja Kaiju, all one word. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ScottLost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T, and Facebook.com forward slash ScottLost. When it comes to websites, uh,
0: KeithRFoster.com is all you need. Even if I write stuff, when I write stuff for iHorror.com, there's always going to be a link on KeithRFoster.com. There's also a Kadoja page and a store where you can buy all your Kadoja stuff and whatever
1: upcoming comics I have once they come out that are in the hopper. And you can find my books on AccidentalAliens.com, Second Shift and Wonders of Milisonda. Second Shift is a tale of minimum wage workers during the day and superheroes at night. Wanders of Melisandre, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans. If you're interested in Second Shift 11, hit me up on Twitter or Instagram uh, and uh, or Facebook. Just message me. I'll get it to you. And uh, as of right now, I'm waiting on the Kickstarter exclusive cover. So unfortunately, I can't get those out to the backers. But I do have copies of Second Shift 11 uh, Standard Edition. So if you're interested in that, hit me up on those platforms and I'll get back to you and we'll get those books out to you. And uh, lastly, but not leastly, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, uh, hit us up at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Or you can hit us up, uh, Keith or I. On our social media, the things that we've just told you about, you can message us there if that's easier for you. It's all good. We always figure it out, and we'll talk about it on the air. Hell yeah, man. Well, the music's playing. Bow, da, bow, bow. Oh, wait. That's porn. <laughs> yeah. I
0: mean, whatever. All right, everybody. See you next week. Yay, yay.